0: Well Hope Bible Church Ottawa what a blessing it is to be back with you the frozen chosen huh? come on praise the lord here we are so thankfully back and let me just say it in person I said it on video last week I say it in person now happy new year As we launch into 2024, oh, we cannot wait. This is a big, big service. It's always a big service when we gather. But we are very excited about what the Lord has unpacked for tonight. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 10. We're doing verses 1 to 33 tonight. Acts chapter 10, 1 to 33. If you do not have a Bible, our wonderful ushers, ushers, so good to see you again, they are coming forward with Bibles in their hands, so make sure you put your hand up, and they will put a copy of God's word in your lap. Remember, this is Hope Bible Church, which means you're going to need your Bibles tonight. Praise the Lord. Well, we are expectant for how the Lord will advance his kingdom as Jesus continues to build his church this year, 2024, for his glory, through his word, by his spirit's work in his people. We cannot wait for that. And so today we jump back into our series in Acts entitled Strong and Courageous in Witness. What is a witness? One who testifies, we gotta lock this in, one who testifies to the truth of Jesus and is so convinced, has been so radically changed by the gospel, is so convicted by the truth that they are willing to die to proclaim that so that others may live. There's the mission of Jesus. So that others may live, your neighbors, your classmates, your family members, your teammates, whoever willing to die that others may live. This all comes right here, key verse for the book of Acts, Acts one eight, right here. Jesus says, "But you," he's talking to his disciples, talking to us now as his followers. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your commission. You will. There's the there's the promise. You will receive power. Holy Spirit power, power from heaven, power of God when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And why are we given this power? Not to kick the can on our lives, but to maximize fruitfulness through our lives. Here it is, you will be my witnesses. That's why we are given power, to be his witnesses. That's our MO. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here in our text today, we're gonna see the early church is about to embark on a new beginning of gospel advancement. And loved ones, loved ones, we need to be praying right here. We got a prayer night coming up January 24th. You saw that? Yeah, 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 prayer night. Guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna dedicate the 2024 ministry year to the Lord. Lock that night in. This is a new beginning of gospel advancement. And we need the Lord desperately because we're powerless to do it. And so the new church or the early church embarking on a new beginning. Here it comes. That's why this message is entitled New Beginning. And there's so much going on in Acts chapter 10, it's in a few different parts. This is part one. Part one, so stay locked in, get your pens ready. You're gonna want to track. Recall what's happened, what's brought us here. Let's get our context. Acts chapter eight, there's increasing persecution of the church, but as the devil's trying to destroy the church, God's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, not gonna happen. He's actually using the persecution to advance the church. New beginning of gospel advancement and he's spreading the gospel outside of Jerusalem and in Acts eight, he spreads it to Judea and Samaria. Then we hit Acts nine. Acts 9, how radical was Acts 9, huh? Go, Lord. The main persecutor of the church named Saul, who was literally going into Christians' homes, dragging them by the hair out into the streets, throwing them in prison and overseeing their executions, breathing out threats and hatred. That's all he knew how to do. He's converted. He's no match for Jesus. The gospel of grace of Jesus Christ pursues him. He's saved And the persecution of the church as a result is minimized. Acts 9.31, it said they had peace. And what's the church doing? They're multiplying again and again and again. You can't stop the church. And then at the end of Acts 9, if you remember from what Joel preached on December 30th, the focus shifted from Saul. Saul is in Tarsus for about eight years now. Okay, So he's over there in Tarsus. We'll pick him up in a little bit. But this focus has shifted now at the end of Acts 9, from Saul to the Apostle Peter. Remember, who is Peter? He's the head of the early church. And the focus of Acts stays on Peter until the end of chapter 12. All right? So for the rest of this part of our series in Acts, it's going to focus on the Apostle Peter, and then Peter drops off. We don't hear anything more. Very minimal about Peter for the rest of the entire book. And so what's Peter been doing? Well, if you remember... From December 30th in Acts 9, when we preached on this, Peter's been on this itinerant ministry. He's been traveling around areas outside of Jerusalem, witnessing for Jesus, and the gospel is advancing radically through healings, through salvation, the healings that are confirming the message of salvation, authenticating the gospel. Remember, remember, Tabitha is raised literally from the dead. And Aeneas... He's been paralyzed his entire life, and then he's lifted up, and it's like, boom. Gospel advancement, and, and all who hear about it get saved. <laughs> Our Lord is awesome. And so Peter, Peter's travels landed him in Joppa, and this is where we find him today. And, and as exciting as it is, it's exciting, it's exciting stuff, right? We just recapped. That's amazing, seeing God at work. As exciting as it is to see gospel advancement... It would be very easy to look at Peter and assume everything is okay with the witness. God's blessing it, right? Everything's okay with Peter. Oh, oh, you'll be careful, loved ones. Be careful, loved ones. Today, we can look at so-called churches, big, successful, flashy lights and lots of things and well, God's blessing must be on that. Everything must be okay. Okay. Everything must be okay with what's going on there. You know, one of my favorite books is called Dangerous Calling by Paul Tripp. Love that book. It is such a warning. It is such a warning about pastoral ministry and the dangers of it. And one line that has been etched in my heart for the last 12 years, and it says, do not assume that God's blessing on the ministry you're in means he's okay with your personal life. I'm going to say that again. Don't assume that God's blessing on your ministry means He's okay with your personal life. He sees what's going on, and He's a God of mercy and grace. But don't assume that, you see, and welcome to Acts 10. There is a deep seated threat in the heart of Peter, a danger that is lurking in the heart of God's witness. And it's threatening. Even with all that's going on, here it is, where the gospel needs to go next, it is threatening to derail the mission for where the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. We've seen it in Jerusalem. We've seen it in Judea and Samaria. But if it's got to go to the ends of the earth, this has to be dealt with. And it's, here, here's the sobering, really sobering thing. It's the same problem that you and I face today. It's the same one. It's the same threat that's lurking in your heart right now. Yes, I can be so bold to say that. It's the same one lurking in your heart and mine. Right now. And you just need to look around the culture and you will see the devastation that this threat leads to. This danger leads to. What is it? Here it is as a partiality. Partiality. Specifically, as we see here in Acts 10, partiality in our witness. Now, let's get on the same page. In other words, let's get on God's page for what partiality is. Verse 34 of Acts 10, Lord willing, we'll get there next week, but God defines partiality this way. Greek word for partiality means showing favoritism to one person over another. Ever done that? Ever done that? Are you doing it? Am I? Showing favoritism or unfair bias to one person over another. And loved ones, we only need to look at that definition to understand this. If we are not intentional to fight against this every day, here's the result. We will discriminate. We will discriminate in our witness based on a person's, ready, ready? Here's some of the things. Age, appearance, Skin color, ethnicity, social status, gender orientation, even a person's hobbies, political, relational viewpoints, or we will discriminate based on whether you even think they deserve to hear the gospel or be served by you. Are you aware of the danger lurking in your heart right now? where are you most tempted to show favoritism? Just be honest before the Lord because we're all tempted with it. And he's looking at you and I right now being like, I know exactly where you are. Will you let me reveal it? Where are you most tempted with partiality? You say, why is this such a big deal? Here's the result of it. Ready? A compromised witness an unwilling witness, an anti-gospel witness that hinders the spread of the gospel. And this is a big problem that Peter needed to overcome right here and us today. If we are to continue to be used faithfully as a witness for Jesus, living on his mission for his glory and with integrity. Here's the big idea we need to lock in. Write this down. Get your pens ready. This is one of the most important messages you could ever kick off a year with right here. Write this down. God shows no partiality, so don't show partiality in your witness. Big idea. God shows no partiality. God is impartial, He shows no favoritism. So don't show partiality. In your witness. And here in our text today, we're going to see three faith postures we must increasingly live with if we are to live impartially as a witness for Jesus Christ and see him advance his kingdom for his glory in and through us. You ready to go? All right, let's stand. We're not going to read all 33 verses, but we're going to honor the authority of God's word and read verses 1 to 8. Let's stand to read together. Acts chapter 10. It's on page 535 in those Bibles that we handed out. Acts 10, 1 to 8. Let's read. Peter and Cornelius, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Here we go. A faithful witness is an impartial witness. Number one, first thing we see is right here, who trusts God's sovereignty over their own expectations. A faithful witness is an impartial witness who trusts God's sovereignty over one's own expectations. An impartial witness trusts that God is working. Here's the question for us, application point. Ready? Will you trust him when you don't expect him? Will you trust him when you don't expect his work? See, verses one to eight, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was not just any man. Cornelius was a big, everyone say big deal. Okay, let's do it again. Everyone say "Big big deal. That's right. Cornelius is a big deal. He is a Gentile. First thing we need to know, that's key. Cornelius is a Gentile. And that just simply means a non-Jewish person. Okay. But he wasn't just any Gentile. He was actually one of these guys who is a centurion. He's a Roman centurion. That means Cornelius is the captain of at least a hundred soldiers. And you'll notice from the text, as you see in verse one, it's the Italian cohort. So all of the soldiers of Rome who were from Italy in his cohort, a hundred Italian soldiers beckoning at his every command. But you notice the text, go back. What does it tell us about Cornelius? He says he feared God. He feared God means, verse two, you see that word devout. He was devout. He was a Gentile who abandoned his pagan religion of Rome and worshiped Israel's God, Yahweh. But here's the thing we need to understand. Cornelius is not going by the food laws. He is not observing holy days. He has not been circumcised. He worships Yahweh, but he's not following all these Jewish things that say, you have to do if you're gonna have God's favor. And you'll notice about Cornelius here, also from the text, he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed continually. Doesn't sound like such a bad guy, huh? Here's the key we need to understand. And maybe this describes some of us in this room tonight. And I would encourage you right here, with everything that I can, let the word of God pierce your heart right now. If this is you, hey, 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 ready, ready, eyes up. Cornelius is 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 religious, but he is not regenerate. Is that you? It means he has not been made new by the Holy Spirit. He is not saved, but he's going through the religious motions. Prayer, giving to the poor, extending hospitality, coming, in our case, coming to church, going through the motions, reading the Bible, but not regenerate. Is that you? Maybe you've been putting on that face for the people around you but you are not regenerate, made new. There's good news for you here tonight. I mean, you notice where this is all taking place, in a place called Caesarea. You'll see it on the, on the screen there, the map. There's Caesarea right on the coast. Caesarea, from when I used to live in Israel, you have to know this, Caesarea is one of the most beautiful places in all of Israel here. I, I wasn't gonna do this, but I wanted to give you a snapshot. Go ahead, here's the picture of it. Right on the coast, It's beautiful. There's a Roman amphitheater, and it's loaded with Roman aqueducts, and it's beautiful. I've literally stood right there on that beach and did the 100-meter run because there's an Olympic stadium. Anyway, it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous, stunning. But here's, as beautiful as that is, here's what you have to understand about this context. What we need to understand, the Jews despise Caesarea. You're like, what?! Why would they despise Caesarea? Why? Because it was so beautiful. It was the administrative capital of the Roman government for all of Judea. It was central to capital. Kind of like the Pentagon for the United States military. It Boom. Roman administrative center in Judea. And the Jews, it's filled with Gentiles. And the Jews despise the Gentiles. There's hatred there. And even though Cornelius, as we'll go on to see in verse 22, he had some respect among those that knew him, the Jews, here it is, had absolutely no expectation that their God would be saving Gentiles. They are still firmly entrenched that salvation was only for the Jews. And this is the context, this is the environment that Peter, who was raised in a devout Jewish home, had grown up in. And this is what he has been observing for the vast majority of his life save the last three years with Jesus because he was a devout Jew. These were the expectations that were passed down. This is what he was still working through even though he was saved. He didn't understand all the implications of the gospel yet. He's still working, wrestling with this and God sees it in his heart. And so what God does, all these expectations Peter has, God blasts them. All of it right here in an incredible act of sovereignty. Verses three to eight. Look at the text. Cornelius is praying at the ninth hour. Ninth hour of the day. You have to understand that according to the Jewish clock, the day starts at 6 a.m. So if it's ninth hour, quick, do the math. What time it is? It is three. Let me help you out. It's 3 p.m. All right. And what does God do at 3 p.m. to Cornelius? Look at the text. He sends an angel. No big deal, Right here's the messenger. He sends the angel to him in a vision and the angel tells him that God has remembered Cornelius' prayers and his offerings. Cornelius didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand who Jesus Christ was, but God could see his heart was intent on wanting to please him. So all of Cornelius' prayers and, and, and alms, the charitable donations he's giving, God sees it and it's a remembrance, a memorial. And what is What does God command Cornelius to do? Look at the text. Commands him to send men to Joppa, which is 31 miles south. You'll see it right here. There's Joppa. So, Caesarea, if you remember, is just literally that city above it. There's Joppa, 31 miles south of Caesarea. And he says, Go get Peter, who's staying with a tanner named Simon. Simon's a popular name, huh, in the Bible? Go get Simon to go to Simon's. That's pretty cool. A tanner named Simon. What's a tanner? You know what a tanner is? One who strips hides off animals and makes leather. Okay, okay, all right. So if you have like germ phobia or whatever, don't be a tanner, okay, it's disgusting. The result, what does Cornelius do? Well, just let me think about this, God. No, notice the text. Cornelius doesn't hesitate. He takes two of his most trusted servants and he sends them along with another devout, that is another God-fearing soldier, to go get them. So live in the text. Live in the text of these first eight verses. This is the most despised place. Can you put that picture of Caesarea back up, please? Thank you. This is the most despised place with the most despised people And Cornelius is one of the enemies of the Jews, especially being a leader in the Roman army that took over the country. Cornelius didn't like to eat like them, dress like them, observe special days like them, or be circumcised like them. So in the eyes of the Jews, Cornelius is a complete outsider. God's not working there. Because if God would, then Cornelius would follow the rules. In the Jews' eyes, it was, a far, it was so far-fetched for any Gentile to be saved, let alone a leading commander in the Roman army. And this is where God is about to send Peter. The most despised place with the most despised people. And you notice this? Against all human expectations, isn't that amazing? God's already working on Cornelius and Peter has no clue. God's already working in his sovereignty on the very one who he's going to send Peter to go to. He's already at work. Whether Peter expects it, which he didn't, or sees it, which he didn't, God's already working. And not only on Cornelius, but as we will see next week, Lord willing, his family too. See, Proverbs 21.1, here's what we have to remember. It says, the heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. See it on there? and he turns it any way he will. People say, Cornelius is too hard. He's too high up in the Roman military. God would never work there. He's a Gentile, forget that. Heart of a king, just turning it. Here's the other one, Isaiah 55, eight and nine. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think like you. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Loved ones, here's the lesson for us from the first eight verses. Don't put greater faith in your expectations over God's sovereignty. Well, I don't expect them to be working, so I'm not gonna witness their, welcome welcome to partiality. How do you know how God's working on them? How do you know? An impartial witness trusts God is working. Here's the question for us. Will you trust him when you don't expect it or don't see it? See, today, let me ask you a couple questions here to drive this home. Where's your Caesarea? Where's that despised place? For Jonah, it was Nineveh. For Peter, it was Caesarea. Where is it for you? Your workplace? Maybe the family gathering? (laughs) Maybe that group of people that you encounter? Where's your Caesarea? Like, I don't want to go there. That's despised. The place you don't want to go and don't expect God to be working. Or here's the other side of that application. With who is your partiality or bias hindering your witness because you don't expect God to be working in them so you don't even bring up the gospel? Well, God couldn't be where Cornelius is. Just too high up. He's too steeped in Roman culture. Really, not according to the sovereignty of God. Where's your partiality ruining your witness? It just seems so unlikely, though, because of one's position, one's appearance, one's past experiences. Even with past experience with you sharing the gospel with them, well, I'll never do it again. They're just too hard. Really, are you sure? My ways are not your ways. Maybe, maybe your bias rears its ugly head with things that you've heard about people like that, so I won't go with them. Those who eat differently, dress differently, speak differently, live differently. Those who worship a so-called other God. Well, I can't go to them. They're just steeped in that religion. Why would, why would the gospel be at work there? I was literally just talking to someone before this service. And they said to me, I was in my course and there's two people who are steeped in another religion and they just start asking questions and I just start sharing the gospel with them and they're so open to it. That was literally real time before the service. Can you expect God can work when you don't see it? Or will you limit God's work to your expectations of what you think he should do? Really? Loved ones, we must repent of our unbelief. Even with children, I was just praying with the kids team downstairs. We can, be part, we can show so much impartiality in our witness to children. Well, they'll never understand. So we'll water it down. Not a chance. Never, assume, never assume that you understand how God's sovereignty is at working in the heart of a child. Parents go nuts in sharing the gospel with them. Don't wait till you think they're old enough. Oh, wait till he's 12. You're going to let sin fester for 12 years? Really? How do you think that's going to go? Charles Spurgeon, teach children early because children begin early to sin. No one has to teach someone how to sin. It's in our nature. Lord, we must pray, Lord, increase my faith and help my unbelief. Where have I not been willing to go and who have I not been willing to share with because of wrong expectations? The faithful witness is an impartial witness who trust God's sovereignty over their own expectations. And with this, point two, we see 9 to 16, write it down. Here we go. Trust God's priorities over their own preferences. The faithful impartial witness trusts God's priorities, God's principles over their own preferences. So here's the question we need to be drilling into our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, help us. An impartial witness is a prioritized witness. Question for you and I, God's priorities or your preferences? What's driving you? God's priorities or your preferences? Let's read 9 to 13. Go back to the text. It's so good. The next day, as they were on the journey, there's Cornelius' three men. They're coming. They're walking those 31 miles south to get to Joppa. And they're approaching the city. Peter, who has no idea they're coming, went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. I love how the Holy Spirit just includes these little, why does that make a difference? You'll see in a moment. I love this. Became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, birds of the air. And there came, that wasn't enough. Look what happens next. Go to 13. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Our God's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. The focus of the text now shifts to Peter in Joppa. While Cornelius' men are on their way to get him, Peter goes up at the sixth hour. That's 12 p.m. It's lunchtime. Peter goes up to pray on the rooftop. Now, this was very customary because for devout Jews. And they still do this today. They pray three times a day. And the second time of prayer is 12. And so he's up on the rooftop. I wouldn't highly recommend you do this on your rooftop, Especially not today. But in Jewish culture, they had flat rooftops. It's all good. They could spread right out. It's all there. And it was very customary for them to go up to their roof to pray. Don't try this. Don't say, well, my pastor said don't. Okay, don't do that. It's like an insurance claim waiting to happen. All right, next. So he becomes hungry. Oh, this. Peter, the little detail. Inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He becomes hungry. Stomach starts growling. And he wants lunch. So he tells the people of Simon's house, hey, can we get some lunch here? And while they're preparing it, verse 10, notice what happens. He falls into a trance. That word trance there means it's a vision from God. Now Peter gets a vision. Look at this. Cornelius gets a vision. Now Peter gets a vision different from Cornelius. That was an angel. This is a full-on vision. And that means, trance means one is totally astonished with it and fixated on it. Like Peter can't even recognize. You ever get like that? Something's happening right in your front of your face and you're completely oblivious to everything else around you. It's like, boom, this is the trance that Peter's watching. He's unaware of anything else that's happening. And in this vision, notice verse 11 to 13, God shows him a great sheet. (laughs) Okay, just stop. Final sermon prep this morning. I was just, I was getting so much laughter out of this. Please bear with me for a moment. God, isn't God awesome? God actually... (laughs) He's using laundry to accomplish his purposes. That's awesome. Only the Lord can do that. Yeah, I'm gonna use a bedsheet. Really? Next time you diss laundry, I want you to remember this. Even God uses laundry for his glory. Yeah, he's using a pitch. That's amazing. The Bible is awesome. Is this there's God? Okay, he wants to lie. Okay, I got laundry. Every time you do laundry now, loved ones, (laughs) every time you do laundry, it's never just another laundry load. Every time you do, I want you to ask yourself the question, am I living with impartiality right now? Am I living with impartiality right now? Am I, like, seriously do it. That's so amazing. Never waste a moment. All right. Now notice this linen sheet. It's massive. And the four corners are covering the entire earth. They're covering every nation. And on this sheet, notice what's on it, both clean and unclean animals. That is every kind of animal, and including birds and reptiles. And God, notice in verse 13, he tells Peter, what does he do? He knows Peter's hungry. So what does he do? Get up, kill, and eat. God knows where we're at. He knows Peter's hunger pains right now. He says, hey, Peter, lunchtime. Notice the intimacy God has with his children. Down to the very hunger pains. How awesome is our God? Time to eat, Peter. Now here's what you have to understand. This is an absolutely massive moment in the history of the church. Why? Because in the old covenant, which Peter knew very well and was still observing in many ways, he was still working out the whole salvation deal and which devout Jews would still live by. The old covenant, in, specifically in Leviticus 11, 2 to 47, the Jewish people were forbidden, forbidden to eat any animal, reptile or insect that God deemed uncommon or unclean, as you see in verse 14. And those terms, uncommon or common, sorry, and unclean means defiled or impure. Nothing impure could enter your body. And so as a result, here's this sheet filled with dirty, putrid animals according to Jewish law, and God's like, lunchtime. Manger, (laughs) manger. Now, Peter... Think about the, put yourself in the text. Get yourself on the rooftop in Joppa. Peter's mind is blown. This is why, notice his response in verses 14 to 16. He says, surely not, Lord. Not a chance. I'm hungry, but I'm not that hungry. Look at 14 to 16. (laughs) This is amazing. Look, but Peter said, by no means, Lord. Surely not. For I have never, you see, here comes the devout Jew. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, he still thinks. He's still filled with, impart, with partiality. And the voice came to him again a second time What God has made clean, Peter, do not call common. And notice 16. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. See, Peter emphatically rejects God's command here. Three times. Oh, wait a second. Wait, what? He rejects it three times. Do you see this pattern in his life? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus have to reinstate Peter on that beach in Galilee, if you remember from our Gospel of John series in John 21? How many times? And here he is again. God has more work to do in his servant. There's a danger in this guy's heart and in ours today too. Notice verse 15. Go back to it, highlight it, and read it again and again and again. Do not call impure what God has made clean. That means what God has purified. Here is the truth of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Live in the text. All that Peter ever followed. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. You are Peter in this moment. All that you have ever followed in the Old Testament law, since you were old enough to even understand, was now fulfilled in Jesus Christ through his shed blood on the cross. All the ceremonial laws, the judicial laws, the moral and ethical laws, all of it filled in Jesus Christ. All of it fulfilled. God is literally, with this vision, with the shed blood of Christ, God is literally overturning or breaking down the wall of former clean and unclean distinctions. And as such, through Jesus' one-time sacrifice for the purification of sin and to purchase and to save people from every tribe and tongue and nation. All the food laws, all the dress code, the holy days for Peter had now simply, hear it, had now simply become his preference. All of it. You wanna take a Sabbath? Sure, will it be beneficial to your body and your soul? Yes, it will. Are we commanded to do that now? No, we're not. But you want to take one? Take one. Preference. Go ahead. Sure, you want to eat a certain type of food? You don't want to eat bacon? Okay, Peter. Don't eat bacon. Can't understand that. But don't eat, don't eat bacon. (laughs) Fine. That's your preference. Because of what Christ has done and how this is all overturned and fulfilled. In him, and much greater than this, God was making it clear that this vision was not simply just about animals that were once thought to be unclean now being made clean, but the greater picture, it's also pointing to the picture that there was no longer any distinction now between clean and unclean people saved in Jesus Christ. Awesome. No more distinctions. Salvation is available to all who would believe in him through Christ alone. And what did God do right here through Jesus Christ? What is he revealing to Peter? Saying, Peter, you gotta get this or this mission is gonna be derailed in your life. You have to get this or there is no more faithful witness for you outside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You gotta get it, Peter, that God has made unity possible in the church. The food laws, the holy days, the circumcision, all divided people. It all divided people before. And God's people though, look at this, are to be united in him. And nothing, not your preference, not mine, is to get in the way of fellowship with each other. Hear the word of the Lord, hope. This world will tell you the exact opposite. If you don't agree with me on every single thing, we can't hang out. If your preferences don't match mine, here's the the message of the world. If your preferences don't match mine, forget it. I'm going to my own tribe. The family of God is the tribe of God. Regardless of what you ate for lunch or what I did. Regardless of your skin color or mine. Regardless whether you wore a mask during a vaccine, or now I didn't. How's the church doing with that, by the way? God's people are to be united in him not causing one another to stumble. See, an impartial witness is a prioritized witness. Here's, here's the drill down question for our hearts today from this section. Will you trust God's priorities, God's principles, or your preferences? And you know, you look around the church, we're still dividing over these same things today, aren't we? How's that witness to the world going? You'll see it on the screen. Let this saturate your heart. The walls need to come down. We head into 2024. The walls need to come down. Two-fold application right here. What walls have you erected that are keeping you from sharing the gospel passionately to those around you? Because witnessing to those people doesn't fit your preferences or comfort zone. What walls have you erected in your un, well, in your biased attitude towards them? Even subtly, just ask the Lord. It's been very chiseling for me. It will be for you too. Because they're not the same ethnicity as you. They don't hold the same political viewpoints as you. How about that same-sex couple that you know down the street? You won't share the gospel with them. You won't hang out with them because of what they eat or don't eat. Their appearance, the number of tattoos that they have on their body, or piercings, or their religious viewpoints. It's time for examination. The walls need to come down. Here's the second application from this, brothers, with your brothers and sisters. Are you making your preference gospel priorities and looking down on your brothers and sisters, and attacking them or alienating them because they don't have your same preference for things, loved ones? Just as God is saying to Peter right here, you'll see it on the screen, don't make your preferences gospel priorities. Welcome to partiality. Well, I can't hang out with them because they just don't do it the same way. What's that? I'll tell you what that is. That's anti gospel, that's anti Christ. And this hit me this morning. Just because it's against your preference doesn't mean it's against God's word. I'm gonna say that again and just let it sit on your heart and write it down. Just because something is against your preference doesn't mean it's against God's word. You wanna eat a certain food? It's declared clean, eat it. You wanna to go to Freshie instead of McDonald's? Go, but don't get down on the Mickey D's crowd. Is it wise to eat Mickey D's all the time? No. But is it clean? Yes. Love you. <laughs> Love you. Freedom. See, God's heart for his church is our unity. Jesus, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, has brought down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God so we can be united with him and each other. Do not, Hope Bible Church Ottawa, do not erect dividing walls based on your preferences over his priorities. Do not do that. A church will disintegrate faster than anything else in that moment. Look what happened at covid The gospel is for all people. And we have a mission to go and proclaim it in and out of the church, no matter what a person eats, no matter what political party they vote for in the upcoming election, no matter if they get the vaccine or not, no matter whether they wear a mask or not, we have a mission. It's time to get over your preferences and for the walls to come down. The faithful witness is an impartial witness who trusts God's sovereignty over their expectations, trust God's priority over their preferences, and it all flows from this. Final point today. Let's land the plane. A faithful witness is an impartial witness who, ready, ready? This is where it all comes from. Submits to God's authority over cultural conformity. Talk about a timely message, huh? Kick off the new year with submits to God's authority over cultural conformity. Listen, an impartial witness is a humble witness. Here it is. This is the doing that comes from the hearing of this word that we are responsible for. Will you submit to Jesus' authority? That's where it all comes from. You're gonna submit to Christ's authority as we launch into 2024. Go back to the text. So good. Verses 17 to 20. Let's read. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, yeah, no kidding, as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon who was called Peter was lodging there and while Peter was pondering the vision the spirit said to him behold three men are looking for you <laughs> the holy spirit just hey peter behold three men are looking for you rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation for i have sent them See, as Peter is still dealing with confusion over the vision he'd seen, God puts more of his sovereignty on display as Cornelius' men show up at the gate to Simon's house. Now, why didn't they go to the door and knock? Because they were Gentiles. According to Jewish law, they couldn't, because it would defile the house. They had to stay at the gate. Rabbinical preferences. They made God's word. You couldn't even go knock, let alone invite someone in. And the Holy Spirit says to Peter, he knew Peter would struggle with that. So what does he do in advance? Tells Peter before they're even at the, he says, go. It's okay. They're with me. Men are looking for him. Don't worry, I've sent them. So go accompany them where they want you to go and be with them. This is a big day for Peter, huh? It's a big day. He's still getting over the vision and he's still hungry. Now, I want you to notice two ways right here that Peter humbly submits to the authority of Jesus. This is a fork in the road moment for Peter and for the church. This is it. This is a crucial turning point. He upholds a faithful and partial witness that overcomes the fleshly desire for cultural conformity that would call him to do the opposite. And us today too. Here's what he does. First off, submits to God's authority by obeying God's word. He obeys God's word. Look at 21 to 24. And Peter went down to the men and said, hey, I'm the one you're looking for. (laughs) I must have like thrown those guys, eh? Yeah, you're looking for me. What is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who's well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to (laughs) to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So look what Peter does against all cultural conformity standards of the Jews. He invites them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa that accompany him. Peter brings his entourage for witnesses. See, Peter immediately goes down to meet the men, finds out they're Gentiles, have been sent by Cornelius to bring them back to Caesarea. And notice at this moment, Peter has a choice to make. The same choice you and I will have to make this week. We have a choice to make in this moment. Submitting to God's word, counting the cost, knowing he will be rejected by his own family that brought him up to observe those laws. He will be rejected by the Jewish friends, by his acquaintances. His reputation in the Jewish community will be shot. He has a choice to make, just like you and I. Submit to God's word or submit to the culture and keep the relationships, but reject these men. in conforming to the culture of ethnic hatred and division between Jews and Gentiles. See, and Peter, I love this, Peter. Peter, knowing the cost, he submits to God's word. Will you? He invites them in to be his guests, which was forbidden. That's why Peter goes on to say, it's forbidden, by extra rabbinical preferences to uphold Jewish law. And he goes with them the next day to Caesarea. This is a huge moment for the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Here's the application. Who has God put around you to invite in and be your guests? Who has he put around you? So often we wait, well, when I get invited, I'll go. How about you invite? Who has God put around you to invite in and be your guests? So that the gospel will advance through your witness. How about the Muslim family down the street? But they're, they're so entrenched in their religion. Are you going to trust God's sovereignty about that? Peter was thinking Cornelius was pretty entrenched. How about the single mom next door? People that look different from you. That person that no one else gives a second thought to. That person who's outside your cultural tribe. Who's God put around you to invite in? Are you going to trust his sovereign work in that person's life? That's what he's asking Peter to do. That's what he's asking us to do right now. Or here's the other part. Where are you walking in sin against God's word and making excuses for it because it's culturally acceptable? Ouch. I guess people said, ouch. <laughs> nice. Where are you making excuses for your sin because the world says it's okay? Where's that for you? You just submit to God's authority or giving a cultural conformity? The way you speak, the way you act, what? God's call to us today is repent. Look at this. Here's what we need to understand, submitting to God's word. An impartial witness can only come from obeying God's impartial word. Simple truth. Profound. Church changing. Culture changing. Life changing. Relationship changing. Neighborhood changing. Sports team changing. An impartial witness can only come from following and obeying God's impartial word. Secondly is this, we've got to obey his word, but submitting to God's authority means we're doing it for his glory and not ours. Look at 25 to 33 as we finish off. When Peter enters Cornelius's house, Cornelius met him. Look what Cornelius does. Fell down at his feet and worshiped him, but Peter lifted him up saying, hey, stand up. He doesn't let him get even 10 seconds on the ground. Peter's like, yeah, that feels good. Look at what he does. Stand up, for I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons. Look, you think Cornelius was ready for him? Yeah, you bet. Many persons gathered. And he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is. There's those rabbinical preferences again. How unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation, Gentiles. But God has shown me. I love this. Peter gets it. He gets it. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. He trusted the word. I asked then, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me. Can't you just, just hear Cornelius' excitement? In this, a man stood before me in bright clothing and and said, Cornelius, your prayer's been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So look what he did. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. See his excitement? Talk about every preacher's dream audience. We're just here. We're all ears. The whole house. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God literally puts them all there for Peter. See, upon arriving, Cornelius' house meets him at the door. And notice, Cornelius falls down at his feet. That means prostrate to worship him. And yet, notice, let us sit here. Instead of desiring or receiving the glory for himself, what does Peter immediately do in 26? He pulls him up and says, I'm Just a man. And further demonstrates his desire for God's glory through his witness. When in verses 28, 29, did you catch it? He states that he understands and humbly submits to God's standard that the Gentiles, even Peter counting the cost here, Gentiles were no longer to be profaned or considered unclean. And he comes without any objection to see him. Hey, question as we close out. Whose glory is your priority? Whose glory are you living for? Our culture says that your glory, you, me, at all times and all things, should be our priority, doesn't it? However, if it is, if that's really our MO, then partiality is always just around the corner. Do you know why? Because you and I will only serve someone if it gives you a better position in the eyes of others and enhances your social standing. And if Peter had done that, there's no way he would have gone into Cornelius' house and he would have missed the massive gospel move that was about to happen and new beginning that would transform church history forever. How many gospel moments do you think we miss in the desire for our glory? Maybe it's crucial time right now for some of us. Eyes up, loved ones. Love that you're taking notes. Eyes up here. Maybe it's crucial time for us right now at the start of this year to examine and remind ourselves I am just a man. I am just a woman and not worthy of any glory. That's a good place to start. I am not worthy of any praise. I do not deserve it. I am not worthy of it. I am just If you get to that place, by the power of the Spirit, you're ready to be an impartial witness. He's God, we're not. Again, God shows no partiality, so don't show partiality in your witness. Trust his sovereignty over your expectations. Trust his priority over your preferences. Submit to his authority over cultural conformity. and you will see his glory and the advancement of his kingdom, as will we as a church this year. And it's only fitting that as we come to the communion table to remember Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, as Revelation 1-5 says, is the faithful witness, the impartial witness who makes all this possible. In communion, we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, the dividing wall of hostility coming down. Worship team, you can come up. The dividing wall of hostility came down and the two elements we remember him with today are this. The bread which represents his body that was crushed for us and the juice which represents his blood that was shed to cover our sin, to forgive our sin that we may walk in freedom and unity and new life in him. And So as we come to the communion table right now, this is a sacred moment, church. We don't do it flippantly. So let's get our communion elements out quietly This is a time of remembrance and reflection. As 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29 says, let a person examine himself then, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that means, Lord, where am I living in partiality? Where do I harbor that unfair bias towards people? Where is there discrimination in my heart? This is a sobering moment. We're not going to rush through this. This is a sobering moment right now. Where am I harboring my partiality? Where am I not submitting to your word? And I would desire to culturally conform. Let's get low. There's mercy offered. There's grace offered. There's forgiveness offered. And in these next few moments, let's examine ourselves, be still, and say, search me. Search me, oh God. No defense. The walls come down. The walls have come down. Search me, oh God. And repent as the Spirit illuminates. Don't let this go by. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the communion table, I want you to know I'm so thankful you're here. The communion table is only for those who've confessed Jesus Christ and are his followers and have been saved by grace through faith in him alone and have a personal relationship with him. And if that's not you, I'm going to ask you to not take the elements. The communion table is only for God's family. And we would love for you to come up and talk to the leaders after the service about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's take these next few moments examining our hearts.